The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We're glad you're with us today. I'm Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice. And I'm Rev. Dan Beckett. And together we discuss the ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. So if you're listening live, you're welcome to join the discussion with your comments and questions. You can call us anytime during the show at 816-251-3555. Again, that number is 816-251-3555, and we would love to hear from you. And Facebook users, you can also message us during the show or any time during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the Send Message button right below the banner. And just as with phone calls, your anonymity is always respected. So holidays are hard. Family gatherings, often with drama and personal pain. How does a person get through all of this without losing sanity and sobriety? And if the temptations were too great, Now what? On today's show, we're going to discuss the ins and outs about meeting the challenges of difficult holiday or family gatherings clean and sober. And we'll begin by sharing our own experiences of what those gatherings have been like for us, and then move into the solution of the spiritual power of perseverance. And after the break, we'll share exactly how we used spiritual perseverance to not only remain clean and sober, but to do so with joy and peace. So, Lonnie, what was that like in your experience? I know uh, things like this tend to be a lot more difficult early on. What what was it like for you? Well, I remember early on just being terrified, you know, because um, I had always been the one to go to the family gathering and to provide the alcohol, you know, and, and to bring all the fun stuff. And so... You know, when I was first clean and sober, it's like, okay, now what do I do? Because we're talking about a two-hour drive and a three-day weekend stay, you know, long weekends like Fourth of July and stuff. And that was always my worst holiday because, you know, it was like you were sequestered with nothing else to do. And so, um, you know, I was terrified the first time I was going to attend an event um, back at the farm for a three-day weekend. What on earth am I going to do? Because, you know, I was just so uncomfortable. You know, my uh, first experience of such a gathering after I'd gotten sober was remarkably similar to yours. It was probably a 
two-hour drive, maybe three or four. It was a long weekend. I believe it may well have been over the 4th of July. And, you know, it was an, an extended family thing where there was a big house that was rented on a lake and a big lawn out front and some tents. And uh, so... It was very, I just remember being very odd. I had some trepidation going into it. Um, you know, we'll talk a little bit later about the kinds of strategies that I found helpful uh, for working with it. But what I remember was that it, it was a big deal. You know, it was no small thing. Both the leading up to it and while I was there, I was just hyper aware of many things. It's it's hard being awake, you know, sometimes. <laughs> and when we get sober, we kind of wake up and... And it's challenging in a way that had been very different for me. And so to go to a gathering like that, um, you know, I might have been coming up on a year at that time. I don't remember exactly. Um, was was a shocking experience. You know, my very, very first one I am just reminded was I was about 30 days clean and my grandfather passed. And I was going to go to um, Colorado. I had to get in a car with some people and drive for eight to 10 hours to attend a funeral and spend a weekend. And I realized at that point that I didn't know what to do with myself. You know, I didn't know what to do with my hands. I didn't know, you know, how to, how to uh, have a discussion with anybody. I was hyper self-aware, uh, self-conscious, uh, anxiety-ridden. Um, you know, tongue-tied. It was just terrible. I mean, my internal experience was just terrible, <laughs> terribly uncomfortable. And um, I did not have that um, that social lubricant to help ease the way for, with these relatives and, and in emotional pain that I had not been with for years. You know, so I mean, different kinds of situations come up, and that was my very first one. It was not fun. You know, what you're describing is reminding me of what it's like just to be a teenager, because I had the exact same experience both as a teenager and as a, a you know, 40-something newly sober person, uh, and it's, it is very much like that. That was a really, I found that to be a really good description. It really hit the nail on the head for me. I'm remembering again that uh, first gathering, that's the one that sticks in my mind most, is is that I was extremely extremely aware, hyper aware of any alcohol that was around me. And it was everywhere at it. Um, you know, I, I uh, described it afterward. I said, you know, if you put a blindfold on me and spun me around, I could throw a rock and I'd probably hit a beer can. No matter what direction or how far I threw it, high likelihood I was going to hit a beer can, uh, probably an empty one. And so I was just very aware of all that going on. It was like... Um, it was almost like, uh, you know, any any alcohol-related stuff was glowing or something. You know, it sort of stood out from the background in my perception just because it was so, it felt so weird to be around it. I had been sober long enough that I had not been around anything like that in general. It was fairly easy to avoid in my day-to-day -day life, but all of a sudden, you know, I felt like I kind of jumped into the deep end or something. Yeah, Alani, if you're talking, I can't hear you. I'm going to go ahead and uh, share a little bit more while you get that sorted out. And so um, I also had experiences in a, in a different, uh, now it's on. Go ahead. 
I'll say I also had experiences in a different kind of family uh, gathering. There's there's part of our family that is large and and sort of more oriented toward partying. There's generally more smoking and drinking going on, and uh, it's a wonderful group of people. I always loved being around it when I was drinking, and now that I'm enough on the other side, I still love being around uh, the family. But then there's the side of the family that nobody smokes in. You know, I was the only one. Uh, who smoked and fortunately I've left that behind and um, and so it's weird in a different way being around uh, a family group that didn't really you know there was no anything I would call excess or abuse of alcohol although there was some alcohol use and my challenge there was that I mean it seems so silly to anyone who hasn't been where we've been but I just had that what is the point why what are you doing what do you mean you're going to mix one super exotic old style drink from the 40s and sip half of it and li- what just you know <laughs> I don't get it. I don't you don't know how to drink. So that I I was surprised to find that that was challenging in a different way. Uh, again along with many other things having been fairly newly sober there was lots and lots of stuff that uh, you know we feel raw at that time and that's a, just another example of it. Well, it's a, it's a lot of self-discovery for me at that point. I didn't realize I was the one running around pushing alcohol on people. I was terrified that that was going to happen to me. And when I when I showed up at these events, guess what? Nobody's running around with the cooler <laughs> handing out beer because that, that was, was my job. That was you. <laughs> yeah, that was me that was doing that, you know. And so I became aware of how pervasive this this. Um, this substance was in my life in the way that it, I was thinking about it. I was pushing it off on others. I was ridiculing those who didn't drink. Like, what's the matter? You know, you, you, you weakling or whatever, you know, and that, and I, I feared all of that coming back to me, that that was the way I was going to be treated and I wasn't going to have an appropriate response or be able to defend myself or whatever. And I found out most of that, of course, was just between my ears. It never happened, but it, it was still, it was still bad, you know, for me at that point. And it was uncomfortable and it can still be uncomfortable. You know, I was uh, at a gathering this weekend that, that we hosted at our home for 20 plus people. And there was all kinds of beer and alcohol and wine. And it was a birthday party and nobody drank to excess. And I'm going, Oh, you know, this, (laughs) this is just awkward, (laughs) you know? So I don't know how many cans of this fizzy water I drank, but you know, it just, um, I still feel awkward in certain social situations. And those were the things that I used alcohol for was to, to lubricate that, to make those awkward feelings go away. Yeah. And, and as we say, it works till it doesn't. That was my experience. So I also had a lot of uh, fear around such gatherings. And the big one, I mean, to just put it under the category of, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. You know, you were kind of sharing that before. And that that's anything from, you know, what do I do with my hands? Do I put them in my pocket? Do I fold my arms? You know, these things that uh, just seem so strange to uh, be concerned about. But, you know, oh, I think I'll sit down over there. Oh, I'm not comfortable here either. Or, oh, I'll walk. Uh, I'll see what's going on in the kitchen. I go in the kitchen. Oh, I'm not comfortable there either. You know, I just sort of couldn't get comfortable anywhere. Um, in a way I became comfortable with not being comfortable. It became the norm, you know, on that three day weekend that I'm particularly thinking of for these examples. But yeah, I mean, it, it it was, that's the word for it. It was uncomfortable. And I also learned the depth of my codependency in how 
tuned in I was to somebody else's emotions and how I wanted to fix that. And so how I was driven by other people's um, emotional uh, responses and their behaviors and was pushing me around. And I had used alcohol as a barrier to that, to keep that at arm's length, where I don't want to have to deal with that stuff. And now I'm, as you said, raw and open and awake. And what do I do with all this stuff? Yeah. One thing that comes to mind, and again, we I feel like we always say this at the top of the show, you know, it, I, I didn't know any better at the time. And that this, what we're talking about right now, this being in social gatherings, particularly, uh, at least for me, family gatherings and holiday gatherings and family holiday gatherings, you know, let's just like July 4th, it just passed. Um, it has changed a lot over the years. And I recall um, having all these experiences that we're sharing uh, at the time in the beginning, but I have to add that this gets better. Along with everything else, this gets better. And that, you know, I keep running into this lesson that says, you know, everything's hard when I don't know how to do it. And the corollary is everything's easy when I already know how to do it. It's getting from the don't know what to do, don't know how to do it to the um, I feel comfortable because I do know how to do this. Um, That's always the thing. But this gets better. And yeah, it was real hard when I didn't know how to do it. And now in my life, my experience is quite different. You know, I don't know that it's uh, well, it might be it might be approaching comfortable. I would always choose not to be in like a social environment where there's alcohol rather than to be in one, but it's not like a, you know, five alarm, uh, fire in my head anymore. Like it used to be. Well, and that's the whole purpose of this show is that, you know, we didn't know how to do it and now we've learned some things and that's what we want to share, you know? And so, you know, we know about these challenges now that we've been talking about this, this uncomfortable holiday gatherings, family gatherings, you know, gatherings you're forced to attend you feel like you're forced to attend with the family so what's the solution in unity we affirm that each of us have a spiritual gift or power available to us actually many of them that can help us transform our lives and in the context of of unity teachings these are known as the 12 powers they're 12 abilities that are inherent in every person we don't have to go get them we just have them And so this power or ability that can help us in these kind of uncomfortable family gatherings is perseverance. And it's also known as strength, and that's what we want to focus on today. But we also know full well that we cannot just willpower our way to sobriety. We've tried that. It doesn't work. So exactly how is it that perseverance or strength can assist us in navigating these kind of difficult times? Dan, have you got some ideas about that? Well, you know, what you just shared is the first thing that comes to mind, because I I can sometimes uh, feel like there might be a conflict between the the truth that I, I as a person, as a spiritual being, have uh, powers available to me. You know, we call these the 12 powers in unity. Uh, but then again, I also know at the same time that it's true that I'm powerless over alcohol. I'm not powerless in my life. I'm not powerless in the world. I'm not a helpless person. But uh, the the difference there took me a little while to understand to become comfortable with. Yes, I'm powerless over alcohol once I put it in my body. But I am not powerless over the steps that I can take so that I don't put alcohol into my body. And I've 
found, you know, been very successful with uh, uh, the recovery path that I've been on. But that's what comes to mind first, what you said. It's not willpower. We can't power our way through sobriety. We might be able to power our way through little tiny bumps in the road, and we'll talk about some techniques for for making it through um, challenging times and, you know, kind of ways to get over a little hump. But in general, if if the challenge is sobriety, uh, you know, powering through it is not something that's ever going to work for me, that's for sure. But I do have the power to choose, and that's that's what makes all the difference. And so being awake and aware that you do have a power of choice about this, you know, that's one of the first things they tell you coming in the program is you have lost the power of choice. Mm -hmm. Well, once we take alcohol out of our system, we regain our power to choose. It may not be fun and it may not be easy and it may not feel good, but we get to choose. And the power of um, strength or perseverance is the ability to, to choose an idea and hang on to it to choose an action and hang on to it. And the one for me, um, you know, I also think of perseverance as stubbornness or tenacity. I I was always called stubborn because I want what I want when I want it and I'm going to get it somehow. And, um, oh, well, if I only attach that to a different goal, a goal of sobriety, for example, and hang on to that, then I can do this. You know, I have the tenacity to be able to do this. No, this is what my goal is. I'm going to stick to that. Yeah, it's funny how, and, and really, we're starting once again to point at that core concept of balance. That you know, depending on how I'm using uh, my various powers, they can I can be using them in a skillful or in an unskillful way. And that word stubbornness we often use to describe an overuse, at least uh, maybe in the mind of the person who's choosing the words you use the word stubborn. Uh, that usually means you know an over overuse inappropriately hanging on to something but then tenacity that's a wonderful quality right we all want to be tenacious we all want to have that stick to you know to get things done because if we don't then we're quitters right we just walk away from things which is the pejorative term for the other side of strength you know quitting is not inherently bad and hanging on is not inherently good it just depends on the context and what's going on and you know what we're doing with them and so uh you know other silly examples of this that i like is hey i'm not lazy i'm efficient right what's the difference it's just the perspective you know am i am i skillfully using my my time and energy well then i'm efficient um am i lazy because i'm literally won't get up and do what's mine to do well that that's a different thing entirely and then the other one is that uh you know sometimes i get this feeling and i think it's a it's not a bad place to be it's appropriate i have no idea what i'm doing I have no idea what I'm doing. Oh, wait a second. I have beginner's mind. Oh, right. Yes, I have beginner's mind. Well, what's the difference between beginner's mind and I have no idea what I'm doing? Nothing. Perspective is the difference. And so I find it the same way with strength. Am I stubborn, you know, or am I uh, letting go of things too easy? Am I stubborn or, or am I tenacious? You know, that's an interesting question you bring up. What's the difference? And for me, I have to go to another layer that I call motive. Mm. That's that's the difference. You know, if I'm being stubborn or tenacious, um, you know, what's the reason that I'm hanging on to something? You know, what's the reason that I'm being efficient? You know, is it so that I can get something out of it or is it so, you know, for the greater good? That kind of thing. So it's really kind of an interesting dynamic. So this ability to hold on, to keep going, you know, you'll you'll hear us talk about that in, in the program. You keep coming back is a prime example of that. Don't give up. Just keep coming back. 
Just keep one more step doing what you're doing. You know, these are all examples of just holding on. They also told me, they said, you know, when you get to the end of your rope, tie a knot in it and hang on. You know, that's I'm hanging on to the idea that I, too, can get clean and sober. I, too, can do this thing. You did it. I can do it. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the power of the power of strength. And in, in when we're talking about recovery is that I can I can use my strength in the sense of maintaining a focus on that which is good and healthy for me, on that which works to keep me um you know, that, that serves me well is a phrase that I might use. We let go of that which no longer serves us in favor of that which does serve us. So I can use my strength in the sense of maintaining focus on uh, what are what things are good in my life. What is working here? You know, what's good and right and positive? What is, you know, there's that saying that says in, in any moment, whatever it is we're doing or not doing is either getting us one step closer or one step further away from taking a drink. And so, you know, how can I use this power of strength in ways that are moving me further and further away from those old ways of being that I choose to no longer um, participate in? You know, and these, these old ways of being, for me, are driven by thought patterns, and there's there's a line in one of the books that that says some of us had old ideas and the result was nil until we let go absolutely. You know what are these old ideas? Today I find that anytime I have um, an emotionally challenging set of circumstances, it's because I'm holding on to some old idea. I am inappropriately using this power of strength to hold on to something that no longer serves me. And these these in the beginning were things like, uh, oh, this time it'll be different. That's an idea I was holding on to. You know, I can have just one. That's another idea I was holding on to that, that was not appropriate. You know, and so I had to change those ideas. I had to let, first I had to discover them. What are the things running through my mind that I'm holding on to that are keeping me stuck? And then I had to replace them with make a, make a conscious, intentional choice about what am I going to replace these with? No, I'm just going to go to one more meeting. No, I'm just going to make one more phone call. You know, I'm just going to say one more prayer. I'm just going to be run one more page in the book. You know, what is it that I need to do that that changes the direction of this thinking pattern? Yeah, that use of use of strength. I'm reminded in in that uh, you know showing up as a willingness to walk away. Right, it takes strength mm -hmm. to walk away from a situation that is both perhaps unhealthy and perhaps calling for our attention and uh, worse so maybe for our action. So to use the power of strength to just say, I'm going to stand up, do an about face, and I'm going to walk away from, I mean, I can literally physically walk away from, you know, a, a place that there's uh, alcohol or, or somebody um, who I need to a break from or whatever, but also kind of spiritually, emotionally, I can turn and walk away from whatever frame of mind uh, feels like it wants to pull me down. You know, and I can walk away from that and toward, uh, like using some of the examples that you just did, whether it be read another paragraph or page in the book, say another prayer, make another phone call, I can um, turn around and walk towards something that is much uh, healthier for me, much more able to support me in my goals. And so, you know, there's a lot of supporting tools, which we'll get to here in a little bit, talking about, and we just mentioned some of those, but, you know, the 
the, the power of strength that we're talking about is the ability to choose to pick that up and keep using it, you know, instead of these old coping mechanisms that we had when things got uncomfortable, when things got um, anxiety ridden, when, when situations were not to our liking, what did we reach for? Did we reach for a tool that we had just learned in the program or did we flounder? You know, and for me, I did a lot of floundering. And what that looked like is call my sponsor or call somebody else in the program or take a buddy with me wherever I was going because I don't want to do what they're doing, but I don't know what to do, you know, and and I needed a guide. Well, there's a wisdom in that desperation. I mean, even when, like, just like you're saying, it's like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what to do. I'm going to call my sponsor and say, oh, my gosh, I don't know what to do. Well, guess what? I did know what to do. I picked up the phone and called my sponsor. That was a good idea. Now, yeah, <laughs> I might not, not know what to do in the particular social situation or what am I going to do with all this excess energy and all that. Yeah, but there's wisdom in recognizing oh my gosh, I don't know what to do, and taking a positive step. Um, another of the 12 powers that I find works in conjunction with strength is that of faith. In, in that faith knows that it can be done, right? In, in the face of none or contrary evidence, it doesn't matter. Uh, faith knows that it can be done, and strength can get it done. And so those two things working together, I have found to be supremely powerful and, and have have made it ha, have made it so I or have been able to do things to change in ways to shift my consciousness to shift my ways of being in the world that I, I don't know that I would have been able to do other than just having this faith that it can be so and strength to put one foot in front of the other trusting that uh, uh, even though I don't know how to get there uh, I'll find out you know if I just keep moving ahead you know, and so faith is also an idea that um, that needed to be developed for me. And I didn't walk into the program with faith. I had faith. I had placed faith in this uh, substance called alcohol. It would fix all my problems. You know, it would help me through any situation. And I had to learn that there were other ways to deal with life and that there were other tools to use. And so I didn't have faith the minute I walked in. I had a, a hope I had hope that if I did what you said you did, that it would work for me too. But I didn't believe that at that point in time. Yeah, I'm not sure. Somehow or other, I I I walked in with, and I you know I guess I'd have to call it an assumption because I didn't think about it very much. It's like, oh man, all these people, you know, go to an even just a handful of meetings very quickly, figure out, man, all these people, they're just like me. They had the same kinds of problems that I have had and am having. Uh, but look, they've been sober one year, five years, 10, 20, 30, whatever. Okay, this works. I can do this. Which is the power of strength, holding on to that idea that I can do this. So hold this thought because it's time for a short break. And when we come back, we'd love to hear from you. So the phone number is 816-251-3555. Please stay with us. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. 
when listeners like you contribute to Unity Online Radio. You're making a positive difference in your life and the lives of other spiritual seekers. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make a one-time donation or sign up for monthly contributions. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment by Ed McShane, a coach for your heart. I listen to the thought for the day from Homeboy Industries often, and I caught a quote that Greg Boyle used in one of his former talks. He said, Only the soul that ventilates the world with tenderness has any chance of changing the world. But I got hung up on the meaning of the word ventilate as it applies to this passage. It means to cause air to enter and circulate freely. When we ventilate the world with tenderness, we circulate the oxygen of love. Ventilation holds our soul in place. So apply it to the little things, moment to moment. Go back to your breath every time you approach annoyance and upset and breathe understanding and patience. Ventilate the world in front of you, and it will change for the better moment by moment, person to person, from one breath to the next. To find out more about A Coach for Your Heart, visit acoachforyourheart.com. Experts say picking up a pen and paper and writing things down can have some amazing benefits. Spark some creativity by sketching, doodling, and writing down what you want in life with a set of Unity Inspiration Notepads. They come in three inspirational designs with themes of gratitude, intention setting, and visualization. These are great tools to keep on your desk and use every day. Just $12.99 for a set of three. Pick up yours today at unityonline.org shop. Hi, this is Lisa Williams. I'm launching a brand new online course called Enhance Your Intuition, Unlocking the Power of Your Spiritual Senses. Join me for this transformational experience where you'll learn how to engage, enhance and embrace your intuition on a whole new level. Plus, save 10% with the coupon code UNITY. Visit lisawilliams.com forward slash intuition and register today. Is life getting you down? Don't worry, choose happy. Join Dr. Marissa Pay every Thursday at 2 p.m. Central and get ready to shift your outlook. Dr. Marissa is an organizational psychologist and life balance coach who will help you to process the tough stuff. Get real life strategies you can use today to experience more hope and happiness. Call in and join the live show or listen later on demand only on unityonlineradio.org, the voice of an awakening world. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice and Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, and I'm here with Reverend Dan Beckett. We'll resume our discussion in a moment, but first we want to let you know that the phone lines are open. So if you have a question or a comment to share, please give us a call at 816-251-3555. Again, that number is 816-251-3555. 
So prior to the break, we were discussing the uncomfortable holiday and family gatherings, maybe just like the 4th of July that just went past, and also about our spiritual power of perseverance or of strength and what that means. So, Lonnie, now that we know about this challenge of uh, these family gatherings and how difficult that can be for us, especially early on our recovery journey, and we know that the solution is the power of strength or perseverance, how exactly can we use perseverance to walk through these times with peace and joy and serenity best yet? <laughs> That's a tall order at the beginning. But for me, you know, I had I had a coach, I'll call her my sponsor, who um, I mentioned in the top of the show that at 30 days, I went to a family funeral and needed to stay at an uncle's house who was a roaring drunk and was terrified of the whole situation. And, um, and my sponsor said, here, take my coin with you. And she said, here, take this list of phone numbers with you. And she said, call me every night when you're there. Keep the coin in your pocket. Don't let anybody pour a drink for you. Um, you know, open your own can of Pepsi. You know, all of those kind of things, you know. And, and the desire to stay sober through all of that, which is what I was applying the power of strength to, this idea of staying clean and sober, helped me get through that because I was willing to follow directions. Yeah, I also had to, and what I'm hearing in that is keeping it simple. You know, we do simple little things, things that are easy, like, oh, of course I can do that. And some of those for me were and still are um, to just, you know, pause a moment, you know, any any kind of thing that I would say remind me of a present moment, you know, present moment reminders. That could be to say a prayer. It could be to uh, recite the serenity prayer even, or just to take a breath, close my eyes, turn within as we do, and do sort of a miniature, if you will, silent prayer, just a moment of silence internally. That's all. Or um, what Eckhart Tolle called a conscious breath, right, which simply means that I I inhale and exhale, and I'm fully aware of it. You know, I'm in touch with it. And how long does that take? Just a few seconds. So a lot of those really simple little things that if I can just remember, okay, right, I can just turn within for a second, or I can just I can just take a breath and feel what it feels like to breathe in and breathe out, and then we'll see where I'm at. And that was very helpful. You know, it's surprisingly hard to remember to breathe consciously. <laughs> that was one of the tools I too was given, but I was told to just breathe in and go, help in my mind. Shortest prayer I know. Help, mm -hmm. you know, and that, but just that moment, that space in time of allowing that space would allow a different or a new or an intuitive idea to come in and to be helpful to me. So, you know, I was given all kinds of tools like that. Another one that I was given was, um, don't take the bait, and that comes out of the 10th step. There's a lot of, in, in my family in particular, there was a lot of teasing. And there was a lot of um, what I know now to be sarcasm and ridicule that was labeled as teasing. Oh, it's just in fun. I was just having fun, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, I would rise to the bait. You know, somebody would say something like that. I would have an emotional response to it. And, and then I would engage. Well, now I'm in an emotional engagement with somebody over something that really doesn't make any difference. Oh, you can't drink, huh? Well, you know, and they're, they're doing this kind of a thing, taunting, that kind of a thing. Don't take the bait. Turn, walk away. And we talked about that in the last uh, segment, you know, that there are tools. But the first one is the don't take the bait. <laughs> I might feel that response, but I don't have to act on it. 
Yeah, uh, that's reminding me of um, just to you know change physically change what's going on. Like if I'm if I've been sitting in the same place and I feel like I'm going a little nuts in my head, well, stand up and walk around. You know, do stump literally just do something different with my body. If I've been sitting, get up and move. Or if I've been sort of wandering around, like oh, I don't know what to do. Calm down, take a seat, you know, find a place and just change the way that I'm um, showing up in the physically, you know, moving or being still and just pick the other one. If I've been too still, get up and move. If I'm moving around too much, sit down and be still for a little while. And just like you said, see what happens, because in my experience, what that does is it creates an opportunity for a new thought, a new insight, a new piece of guidance, if you will, a new, you know, sort of flash of the divine or however it is that we express that experience of a shift in consciousness really is what that is. And sometimes uh, I've heard it described as move a muscle, change a thought. Yeah, that's a good phrase. So one of the skills that I began working on soon after I got into recovery was um, the ability to say no, which is a way of setting boundaries. But you go to a party and somebody offers you a drink. What do you say? No. Well, that's not what I did the first <laughs> the first uh, time or two. It was, oh, I can't drink. I've just I'm in recovery. I blah, 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 blah. You know, all of this explanation and everything. And I had to shorten it up and learn just to say no. And when somebody says, well, why? I say, well, I don't drink. Oh, end of story. They don't press me any further than that, you know, but I didn't know that. And so learning how to say no instead of having to justify the decisions and the choices that I make was a big one for me. I found it helpful to have an escape plan. Now, uh -huh. I remember this little piece of advice early on because it's so simple. It so obviously makes sense. Um, just have an escape plan. And we kind of touched on this uh, in our discussion up to this point. Uh, just know that wh where, wherever I am, especially if we're talking about like a holiday gathering, family gathering, or what have you, um, to go into it with a clear, uh, workable escape plan, Just which just means, you know what, if worse comes to worse, I can leave. I can leave, physically leave this location. I could leave temporarily. Oh, I'm going to run down to the grocery store and get some peanut butter, whatever, you know, get, get some, anybody need any snacks, you know, anything like that. I'm going to change location or I'm done with this event and I'm leaving and I'm going home. You know, it could be either one of those things, but to just to be able to walk away and, and not feel trapped because I, I already considered, well, if I do feel trapped and I, and I really feel strongly that I need to get out of here, let me have that already figured out. So I either drove myself or I have an agreement with someone I trust that I can go to and say, I need to get out of here. No questions, no discussion. We leave. Or, you know, nowadays I have Uber on my phone as long as there's cell service and I'm not in the middle of the country, I guess I could call an Uber. But point being, ha have a plan to get out of there. That can, that in its knowing that I can leave can ease uh, some uh, situations that I think uh, would be maybe more troublesome if I didn't know in the back of my head, you know what, I, I can always just leave. So it's okay. You know, and you mentioned snacks, which reminds me of the hungry, angry, lonely, tired piece. 
you know, I was told, don't go into these events if I'm hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Oh, I stayed up half the night. I, you know, I skipped breakfast. It was a long drive. I don't, you know, feel very good. I'm setting myself up in that kind of a situation. And so, you know, I learned to do that type of an assessment before I left home. And they call it being spiritually fit. You know, it's, of course, more than just that. But that was the baseline was how am I physically how am I emotionally? You know, is everything good? Okay, then I'm stable enough to take on a challenge like a family gathering, you know, with all the various personalities that can be there and everything. And the snack part comes in is that I learned that I don't need to count on other people to, to serve my needs. I need to bring my own snacks. I need to bring my own drinks. I need to make sure that I have what I'm going to want at the party in order for me to be comfortable instead of, well, there was nothing else to eat or drink. So I sure I took the jello shots or whatever. Yeah. I think what you're talking about and what, and what I was just sharing about being able to leave is to have a plan. You know, we don't, I think, especially early on, we don't accidentally stay clean and sober with no plan, right? Cause if I don't have a plan, then what's going to take over is habit and what the habits are, are, you know, drinking and, and other. And so, yeah, have a plan, which would include for me at a, at a family gathering or a holiday gathering, the plan includes transportation both ways. Now that could be different than my escape plan because I might be getting there one way, but my escape plan is my other friend, but either way, I know how I'm going to get there and I know how I'm going to leave. And I have contingency ideas in place in general for, um, you know, who, who seems safest to be around or is there a person safer than the person in front of me for me to be around? Let me go find that person. So the part of my plan there is when I get uncomfortable, I'm going to bring to mind those I know who are here that I'll be more comfortable with. So let me seek them out. Or what, you know, what am I going to do if somebody says X, like you shared, what am I going to do if someone says, Hey, you want a beer? Uh, no, thanks. I had it all worked out to like three levels of what I was going to say if somebody ever, you know, were to press me on it. Because, of course, that's the big fear that someone's going to say, hey, do you want to drink? No, thanks. I don't want to drink. And then they're going to, you know, all of a sudden we're in a movie, right? Like we're in a movie and someone's going to start giving me a hard time. Well, that never happened. In in my six-step plan on how to refuse a drink, I never got past step one, which was no thanks, Oh, okay. End of discussion. So, but just to have a plan, what am I going to do if someone, what am I going to do if all else fails? You know, there's my escape. How am I going to get there? Like you just shared, what am I going to do if I'm hungry? Well, I better make sure and I bring, you know, a bag of almonds or whatever it is that I like uh, that I can have. So plan, you know, plan to be successful, plan to be clean and sober and successful in it. You know, part of my plan was always to take somebody with me. You know, it was not an unusual situation in my family that we always had had friends hanging around. You know, I brought friends home at, from college and I brought friends home when I went to on the weekends when I was partying. You know, you had to bring your own party with you. And so, you know, it was not unusual once I got sober for there to be extra people around. And so I learned that whatever situation I was going into, it was OK for me to ask somebody else that was clean and sober and would be staying clean and sober they may or may not be a program friend, to go with me, somebody that would have my back, somebody that could support me, somebody that I trusted, somebody that I could turn to and say, hey, I'm really having a rough time, or the next time that guy comes over here, can you come and help me escape? 
you know, that kind of a situation. And that worked really well for me. And it's still not a bad plan sometimes. Yeah, in general, I mean, a lot of the things that we learn uh, on our recovery journeys are just generally wise, you know, and applicable in life in all kinds of situations. Um, I'm still thinking about uh, having a plan. Uh, one thing I found helpful was that I don't have to go off in a corner by myself and come up with this plan. I can enlist this support of those in my, what I think of as my support network, right? Which is my uh, recovery home group, um, my recovery friends that I met probably in the recovery home group or other meetings in town, and also, of course, my sponsor. And so in, in the time leading up to whatever the event is that I might be concerned about, I can share about that in a meeting. Uh, I can share about it with friends in the meeting before the meeting and standing in the parking lot in the meeting after the meeting and get all kinds of wonderful suggestions and wisdom and go into the event with a plan that I feel very comfortable and confident in because I didn't just go off and try and cook it up on my own. I shared with and got input from many experienced people uh, who helped me figure out what to do. Like, oh, you know, make sure you have a way to leave. You know, but when the fifth person says that, I begin to get the impression that's probably important. And I better make sure that I have a way to leave. And so enlisting the help of my support network, my sobriety support group and, and friends and sponsor um, to make a plan so that I can be successful. One of the elements in mine was to bookend um, emotional events. You know, if I was going to a funeral, for example, or even a wedding, but things where there's a lot of high emotion that uh, tend to be times when people are triggered or triggering, um, would go to a meeting before I go. You know, go to a 7 a.m. meeting before I leave town for the day. Go to an 8 o'clock meeting when I get back. You know, uh, see my therapist at noon and, and go to a meeting when I get done at four, you know, that kind of a thing. But to bookend it with not just safe people, but places to decompress, to, to digest, to process, and that type of thing. Somebody that was safe that could um, help me with those raw early emotions. One of the elements of a, of a plan that uh, I found particularly helpful, someone said to me, uh, you know, you can just go online and find the meetings that are around where you're going to be. And, and not, not just that, but print out a sheet that has the, t the times and the dates and the locations so that you know, okay, well, well, Wednesday at 2, I could go here, and then Thursday at 7 p.m., it's here. And not only that, but know where these places are. You know, have figured this out. Go on Google Map or whatever and figure out where is this meeting? How are you going to get there? Plan as if you're going to go to each and every meeting on the list. Well, if you were, how are you going to get there? What? How, many, how much time ahead are you going to need to leave? So that if at any time you need something like... Um, like you're talking about, uh, bookend it or even stick a bookend in the middle. It's like, oh man, it's one. I'm feeling really squirrely. It's one o'clock. Oh wow, there's a meeting at three, and I and awesome. I know I I already know how I'm going to get there. I'll go tell so and so. Hey, will you give me that ride that we talked about? So you know, being able to step aside for a few minutes into a uh, recovery environment. Uh, where, like you said, you know, it's a, a place to decompress, a place to share, a place to tell on ourselves and to be a part of the sober community um, can be super helpful. One of the things that 
has been helpful for me as a tool throughout my entire recovery time has been what I call the five-minute plan. You know, I don't have to know, while having a plan, all those things is fine. What am I going to do for the next five minutes? You know, can, can I get through the next five minutes? What do I do the next right thing? What do I have to do to get through the next five minutes? And instead of overthinking the situation that I'm in at the moment, if I bring it back to just what's next, what's next, what's next, when I can bring it back to that level, it simplifies it to a point that I can figure out, oh, you know what's next? It's dinner time. I better eat, you know, not realizing that being hungry is driving some of the voices in my head, this committee that likes to to stir things up. And so, you know, just the five minute plan is a very useful tool for me. That sounds like a, a great kind of present moment tool, because that's really what we're doing is, is uh, as you just said, I don't have to know how all this is going to go. So I can get my head out of the hypothetical, out of the future. Let me just focus on what's right here and right now in the next five minutes, which, like you said, I'm hungry or, God, I've been sitting in the same chair. I'm feeling under siege. I'm going to get up and walk around. You know, anything that reconnect me with what's going on right here and right now, often the, the next right thing to do just becomes abundantly clear right? as soon as I get my head where my feet are right here in this moment. So uh, another way that I can do that, I found, is by making a gratitude list. I uh, don't have to do it on a piece of paper. I can just do it in my head as I sit there and smile. You know, no matter what's going on around me, uh, assuming I'm not literally engaged in a conversation at that moment, I can just look around and make a gratitude list in my head. Oh, man, I'm so glad for Uncle Joe. You know, I always liked Uncle Joe, felt comfortable around him. And uh, isn't it nice to have a big family that gets together? And boy, I love air. And boy, it's not, boy, it was warm today and it's so much cooler right now. I'm grateful for how cool it is. And, you know, this is a beautiful place where we are. If I just look around, there's this lake and these trees. And isn't it wonderful to be in this place? I'm glad for the opportunity to be here. And so just literally make a gratitude list as, as, as long as it needs to be, as silly as it needs to be. I like shoes, you know, so I don't step on any of these bees or whatever in my head. That, that helps me get uh, not only right here and right now, but right here and right now and, and thinking, literally thinking positively. Well, and that's a really good point because um, many of us are wired and conditioned for this negative thinking that we call stinking thinking, and uh, and it's a habit as well. And so, you know, it's really entrenched, and once we start waking up and start to catch ourselves thinking those things, at least for me, I was told change the channel, you know, get off of that, get on to something else, and a gratitude list was um, and is an excellent way to do that, to change what I am thinking about, because I can't think two things at the same time. might seem like I am sometimes, but it's really rapid-fire multiple thoughts. And so if I can get focused on, on one thing, the gratitude, that changes the channel, which then changes my emotional um, structure at that point in time. And, you know, these um, the stinking thinking for me shows up as these committee voices. You know, we talk about the committee in our heads. And they're saying things like, oh, I'm in this alone. Um, you know, they're not going to like me if, oh, I can't do that. What are they going to think? Uh, I'm not strong enough. Uh, this time it'll be different. Oh, I wonder. You know, and those are all all dangerous things for me in the, in those stages, in those situations where I need to change the channel and I need to get off of it and get 
my mind on something else. You know, that just that whole concept of a shift makes perfect sense uh, for all of us on our recovery journey because that's what we're doing. We're making shifts and changes, both small and large, and on so many fronts. You know, there's that saying, all you have to change is everything, which is, feels overwhelming at the beginning, but I found to be uh, true and to be wonderful, really, and, and not, uh, not negative. And one thing I know that, I, that helped me uh, in, in a holiday or family gathering is look for those people who are not drinking. Well, I think, well, everyone's drinking. No, you're drinking. So you think everyone's drinking. Look for those boring, those those people who used to be the boring, invisible people because they weren't drinking. Uh, now that I'm not drinking, all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait a second. It's not true that everyone here is drinking. Many people are, and that's fine, but not everyone is. So who's not? Oh, it's Aunt So-and-so is not drinking. Well, let me go talk to Aunt So-and-so, who I never paid very much attention to before because she doesn't drink, right? But now all of a sudden, wow, this is great to be able to be connected with somebody who doesn't have alcohol flying through their blood and, you know, and acting like they do and talking like they do and getting loud and grand and all that. Uh, wow, it's really nice to talk to this person. I find out those, quote, boring people are actually the most together wonderful people to connect with. And I never would have known that if I didn't think, who's not drinking? Let me go talk to them. Oh, and I learned <laughs> at this gathering that I was at recently, um, people had half a beer and it would sit there and get warm. And I'm going, what's that? Okay, they're not alcoholic. And then they're drinking water. Oh, no, just get me a glass of water. You know, and I'm going, okay, that's weird, but they're not alcoholic. And so I have nothing <laughs> to fear from them, you know, that, that I'm going to get pulled into, into something uh, like a discussion about why I don't drink or whatever. So, so another, you were talking about an escape plan. The one size fits all escape plan for me is, um, we called it the prayer booth. Excuse myself and go to the bathroom. I'm behind yes. the locked door. I'm all by myself. I can stay in there as long as I want to. I can take reading material if I need to, you know, and I can be in a place where I can have a few moments with my higher power and just un unburden myself, you know, just breathe, just relax, just uh, decide what consciously what my next step was. And there was more than once that I was told to go to the prayer booth and call my sponsor. I did that too. <laughs> I had, that was the most private place in the house to be able to, to make a phone call and say, oh, this is what's going on. What do I do now? You know, and so that was very helpful. What a great idea. You know, I don't know that I ever thought of that or had been suggested that, but think I just thought, how rude is it for someone to say, what are you doing in there? Why are you in there? So, that is so rude. Even a bunch of drunks probably aren't going to do that. And if somebody did say that, the other people are just going to say, oh, shut up, leave her alone. You know, you gotta <laughs> sit down. You had too many to drink. What a great idea. It's a place that you can go to be alone, just like you said, to have a moment of peace where it's the social norm for people to leave you alone and do that. It's perfect. So now let's shift gears and move into action because unity's fifth principle states, it's not enough to know these truths, we must live them. That means we must each take action in order to grow and recover. So here's something you can do to move from any fear or unease that you may have about a family or holiday gathering to a place of greater serenity using the spiritual power of perseverance. So think of one of these situations, a family or holiday gathering that you've been to, or maybe that you're going to be attending soon, and how you feel about it. Maybe there was a get-together over this path, 
Fourth of the July holiday, or maybe there's an upcoming birthday or reunion of some kind. Or perhaps you just want to find a way to retain your peace in any kind of social setting that may challenge your level of comfort. What's important here is just to pick one thing, something simple to focus on in in this exercise. And the idea here is to relax and let it be easy so that you can take what we do here today with you into your life this week and return to it anytime you choose to in order to find peace. So let's use a simple example of a holiday party, maybe just past or maybe coming up. So we use a statement of power or what we refer to in unity as a denial to deny any power to the feeling of being fearful or uncertain about maintaining your sobriety. You could say something like, my old ways of coping with discomfort have no power over me now. Repeat that a few times in your head or say it with conviction. My old ways of coping with discomfort have no power over me now. And follow that up immediately with a bold and positive affirmation of a new experience. You could say, I am empowered by the strength of God within me to experience peace and joy despite outward circumstances. And then take a few quiet moments to relax and take it easy. There's no need to struggle. Just give thanks for your new experience in the world and move on with your day. My old ways of coping with discomfort have no power over me. I'm empowered by the strength of God within. So we've come to the end of our time together here today, and we hope you found something that can help you on your recovery path. And we both bless you on your journey. Thank you, listeners, and everybody that has been tuned in. And thank you so much for my co-host, Reverend Dan Beckett, for the insights that were shared in our discussion today. And listeners, if you would like, you can connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and give us your thoughts and feedback and suggestions for topics that you want to hear about. And we invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. Until then, have a wonder-filled week. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Laura Worcester, host of the Intuitive Life Podcast. As an intuitive medium and teacher working with the world of spirit, I love to share the peace that comes with the awareness that our departed loved ones are still with us. And I also love to help people explore what it means to live an intuitively led life. Start listening now on mindbodyspirit.fm or wherever you get your podcasts.